the Bible, the book that has changed the world by changing lives around the world. Men and women, young and old, the Bible has changed my life. The love, stability, and hope that I need, they're all found in the Bible. The Bible gives me hope that a new day is coming. The Bible is helping me see what really matters. The Bible Live is a -a one-of-a-kind, first-time-in-history radio program. Offering you the chance to hear a 15 to 20 minute Bible reading each weeknight. The entire Bible, every year. Hear the scriptures, then call in with your comments and questions. This is the best show in the world. Well, actually, I was speaking against everything you were talking about before, and uh, now I, I stand humbly corrected. I'm a pastor, and our people really need to know the word more. The Bible also transformed the life of your Bible Live host full-blooded Apache Indian, born out of wedlock and abandoned at birth. Soapy Dollar was found in a big city alley by a kind-hearted fortune teller, then passed around to 16 families before he was six years old. Placed in a home for homeless and delinquent boys, Soapy Dollar heard the Bible's life-changing message at the age of eight, and the course of his life was changed. He's an American Indian guitar play it all around rodeo cowboy. I keep my thumb between the pages and my heart in the book. With more degrees than a thermometer and over 40 years of introducing folks just like you to the God of the Bible. Here is Sophie Duller. <laughs> we won't rest until everyone in America is singing that song. I keep my. Thumb between the pages and my heart in the book. Talking about the book of life. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We are happy to be with you, eager to get started tonight on our reading from the book of Genesis, chapters 25 through 27. Abraham is going to roll off of the scripture stage here. We've already seen the birth of his son Isaac to him and Sarah. So Isaac is on the stage now, he and Rebecca, and now we'll start hearing more and more about their two sons, Jacob and Esau. I heard a news story tonight talking a little bit about religious persecution around the world. The life experience that you and I have in this land of freedom is so astounding, and yet there are men and women who make the supreme sacrifice to follow Jesus Christ And they follow him at great peril to their own lives and to their livelihood, to their children, to their families. That's why the theme of freedom is so great. I remember when George W. Bush talked about the guiding principle of freedom, how important that is. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Uh, We read in Corinthians. Freedom is a great theme because when men and women are free to choose on the basis of what makes sense, what is true, what explains their life, what brings fulfillment, the gospel prospers. The only way the gospel can fail is when there is a torture, when there is great oppression against those who would trust Christ. Freedom means so much to the gospel. Let's go to our wisdom and worship segment tonight. We're going to read from Psalm 7 on the Bible Life. Psalm 7. I come to you for protection, O Lord my God. Save me from my persecutors. Rescue me. If you don't, they will maul me like a lion, tearing me to pieces with no one to rescue me. O Lord my God, if I have done wrong or am guilty of injustice, if I have betrayed a friend or plundered my enemy without cause, then let my enemies capture me. Let them trample me into the ground. Let my honor be left in the dust. 
Arise, O Lord, in anger. Stand up against the fury of my enemies. Wake up, my God, and bring justice. Gather the nations before you. Sit on your throne high above them. The Lord passes judgment on the nations. Declare me righteous, O Lord, for I am innocent, O Most High. End the wickedness of the ungodly, but help all those who obey you. For you look deep within the mind and heart, O righteous God. God is my shield, saving those whose hearts are true and right. God is a judge who is perfectly fair. He is angry with the wicked every day. If a person does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He will prepare his deadly weapons and ignite his flaming arrows. The wicked conceive evil. They are pregnant with trouble and give birth to lies. They dig a pit to trap others and then fall into it themselves. They make trouble, but it backfires on them. They plan violence for others, but it falls on their own heads. I will thank the Lord because He is just. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. End of reading, Psalm 7. It is very important to realize in the light of a psalm like this that the righteousness, the innocence that we enjoy as God's people is an imputed righteousness. It's not our own. It's a righteousness that has been bestowed upon us by the mercy and grace of God based on the merit of Messiah himself. Psalm 7 brings out three very important truths to understand the totality of Scripture. One is that when the Bible talks about our enemies, particularly in the Old Testament here, David may be talking about Absalom. He may be talking about political intrigue. He may be talking about military usurpers, those who would take away his throne. Or he may be talking about the Philistines or some other group that is fighting or attacking him and his kingdom. That may have been his immediate reference point when he talks about those who persecute him, those who oppress him, those who attack him, those who lie about him. But in our time, the way we interpret those psalms for our own lives is that our enemies are godless world system around us. The world of fashion, the fashion trends, the godless secular media, people and institutions basically that press in upon us. The fads of a culture that might be godless and might be wrong. And then we have the flesh, our own selfish ego and our own selfish desires, our arrogance, our pride, and then the devil. Those are our three enemies, and we can apply the Psalms to our own lives by referring to these enemies. The two other things that are spoken of in this Psalm are judgment is certain. God will judge. He knows everything about us, and absolute perfection is required. And that's why no one will ever be in glory. No one will ever be with God, reconciled to God, without absolute perfection. And that's why it must be an imputed perfection. We are clothed in the righteousness of Messiah, not our own by any stretch. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 25 here. With the death of Abraham, we'll begin now to follow the life of Isaac and Rebekah and their twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Genesis 25:1 through 27:29. Genesis 25. Now Abraham married again. Keturah was his new wife, and she bore him Zimron, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan's two sons were Sheba and Dedan. Dedan's descendants were the Asherites, Letushites, and Leumites. Midian's sons were Ephah, Epher, Hanok, Abida, and Eldah. These were all descendants of Abraham through Keturah. 
Abraham left everything he owned to his son Isaac. But before he died, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them off to the east, away from Isaac. Abraham lived for 175 years, and he died at a ripe old age, joining his ancestors in death. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite. This was the field Abraham had purchased from the Hittites where he had buried his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God poured out rich blessings on Isaac who settled near Bir Lahairoi in the Negev. This is the history of the descendants of Ishmael, the son of Abraham through Hagar, Sarah's Egyptian servant. Here is a list by their names and clans of Ishmael's descendants. The oldest was Nebaioth, followed by Kedar, Abdil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedamah. These twelve sons of Ishmael became the founders of twelve tribes that bore their names, listed according to the places they settled and camped. Ishmael finally died at the age of 137 and joined his ancestors in death. Ishmael's descendants were scattered across the country from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, in the direction of Asher. The clans descended from Ishmael camped close to one another. This is the history of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban. Isaac pleaded with the Lord to give Rebekah a child because she was childless. So the Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and his wife became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she asked. And the Lord told her, The sons in your womb will become two rival nations. One nation will be stronger than the other. The descendants of your older son will serve the descendants of your younger son. And when the time came, the twins were born. The first was very red at birth. He was covered with so much hair that one would think he was wearing a piece of clothing. So they called him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they called him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open fields, while Jacob was the kind of person who liked to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau in particular because of the wild game he brought home. But Rebekah favored Jacob. One day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home, exhausted and hungry from a hunt. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew you've made. This was how Esau got his other name, Edom, red. Jacob replied, All right, but trade me your birthright for it. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? So Jacob insisted, Well then, swear to me right now that it is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his younger brother. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate and drank and went on about his business, indifferent to the fact that he had given up his birthright. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 26. Now a severe famine struck the land, as had happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. The Lord appeared to him there and said, Do not go to Egypt. Do as I say and stay here in this land. If you do, I will be with you and bless you. I will give all this land to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham your father. 
I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, regulations, and laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar, and when the men there asked him about Rebekah, he said, She is my sister. He was afraid to admit that she was his wife. He thought they would kill him to get her because she was very beautiful. But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw Isaac fondling Rebekah. Abimelech called for Isaac and exclaimed, She is obviously your wife. Why did you say she was your sister? Because I was afraid someone would kill me to get her from me, Isaac replied. How could you treat us this way, Abimelech exclaimed. Someone might have taken your wife and slept with her, and you would have made us guilty of great sin. Then Abimelech made a public proclamation. Anyone who harms this man or his wife will die. That year, Isaac's crops were tremendous. He harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. He became a rich man, and his wealth only continued to grow. He acquired large flocks of sheep and goats, great herds of cattle, and many servants. Soon the Philistines became jealous of him, and they filled up all of Isaac's wells with earth. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father Abraham. And Abimelech asked Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too rich and powerful for us. So Isaac moved to the Gerar Valley and lived there instead. He reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac renamed them, using the names Abraham had given them. His shepherds also dug in the Gerar Valley and found a gushing spring. But then the local shepherds came and claimed the spring. This is our water, they said, and they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named the well Argument, because they had argued about it with him. Isaac's men then dug another well, but again there was a fight over it. So Isaac named it Opposition. Abandoning that one, he dug another well, and the local people finally left him alone. So Isaac called it Room Enough, for he said, At last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be able to thrive. From there Isaac moved to Beersheba, where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. I am the God of your father Abraham, he said. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will bless you. I will give you many descendants, and they will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham my servant. Then Isaac built an altar there and worshipped the Lord. He set up his camp at that place, and his servants dug a well. One day Isaac had visitors from Gerar. King Abimelech arrived with his advisor Ahuzoth and also Phicol, his army commander. Why have you come? Isaac asked them. This is obviously no friendly visit, since you sent me from your land in a most unfriendly way. They replied, We can plainly see that the Lord is with you. So we decided we should have a treaty, a covenant between us. Swear that you will not harm us, just as we did not harm you. We have always treated you well, and we sent you away from us in peace. And now look how the Lord has blessed you. So Isaac prepared a great feast for them, and they ate and drank in preparation for the treaty ceremony. Early the next morning they each took a solemn oath of non-aggression. Then Isaac sent them home again in peace. That very day Isaac's servants came and told him about a well they had dug. We've found water, they said. 
So Isaac named the well Oath, and from that time to this, the town that grew up there has been called Beersheba, Well of the Oath. At the age of 40, Esau married a young woman named Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite. He also married Basimoth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. But Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 27. When Isaac was old and almost blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son, yes, father, Esau replied, I am an old man now, Isaac said, and I expect every day to be my last. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows out into the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare it just the way I like it so it's savory and good and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But Rebekah overheard the conversation. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, I overheard your father asking Esau to prepare him a delicious meal of wild game. He wants to bless Esau in the Lord's presence before he dies. Now, my son, do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll prepare your father's favorite dish from them. Take the food to your father, then he can eat it and bless you instead of Esau before he dies. But mother, Jacob replied, he won't be fooled that easily. Think how hairy Esau is and how smooth my skin is. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him, and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. Let the curse fall on me, dear son, said Rebekah. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats. So Jacob followed his mother's instructions, bringing her the two goats. She took them and cooked a delicious meat dish, just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's best clothes, which were there in the house, and dressed Jacob with them. She made him a pair of gloves from the hairy skin of the young goats, and she fastened a strip of the goat's skin around his neck. Then she gave him the meat dish with its rich aroma and some freshly baked bread. Jacob carried the platter of food to his father and said, My father? Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, It's Esau, your older son. I've done as you told me. Here is the wild game. Cook the way you like it. Sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, How were you able to get it so quickly, my son? Because the Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come over here. I want to touch you to make sure you really are Esau. So Jacob went over to his father, and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said to himself. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy just like Esau's. So Isaac pronounced his blessing on Jacob. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. Yes, of course, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, Now, my son, bring me the meat. I will eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food over to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. Then Isaac said, Come here and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced, and he blessed his son. He said, The smell of my son is the good smell of the open fields that the Lord has blessed. May God always give you plenty of dew for healthy crops and good harvests of grain and wine. May many nations become your servants. May you be the master of your brothers. May all your mother's sons bow low before you. 
All who curse you are cursed, and all who bless you are blessed. End of reading, Genesis 25.1 through 27.29. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken, Lord. I'm accepted. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. This is a great passage, Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. Very interesting couple to me. Nothing wrong is ever mentioned of Rebecca. She seems to be an outstanding young lady. She had a strong work ethic. Eliezer chose her for Isaac. It seems the two were genuinely in love. She was a great comfort to him. Interestingly, she is the one told by the Lord upon her request. She asked the Lord, what's happening to me with these twin children she was bearing? And God told her the sons in her womb would be two nations, two rival nations, and that the younger one would be the one who would dominate. Rebecca knew this from before she gave birth. I don't know if that explains why she chose Jacob as her favorite. Did she tell her husband? Did Jacob know about what God had told her? It seems natural that she would have, but Jacob, in any case, took Esau as his favorite, this outdoorsman, this man's man. Esau, the red hairy guy, his name sounds like the Hebrew word for hair, His other name is Edom. Remember, Esau becomes the father of the Edomites, who became a great enemy nation to the people of Israel. Jacob's name later on is changed to Israel. So there's a lot of drama in these individual lives here. The birthright. Why was that so important? Well, one, the birthright, and this is important for other stories in the Old Testament as well, the birthright entitled the bearer to a double inheritance for one, And secondly, the person became the titular head of the clan. And in this case, this messianic lineage, it took on that messianic aspect because it wasn't just becoming the titular head of the clan, but that covenant relationship with God. God had promised that through Abraham, through his seed, that there would be great nations and that the whole world would be blessed through his seed, through his offspring. We understand that now, that it's not the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. It's Abraham's seed. There was this one particular son of promise that was important, and that is the Messiah to come through the lineage of Abraham. And so Jacob, for one reason or another, we're not quite sure, he values that inheritance. He values that birthright, and he bargains with his brother Esau to get it from him. Esau, on the other hand, to him it was evidently not that important. He was hungry. He wanted something to eat. He wanted it right now. He was very hungry, and he gave it up for a bowl of stew, a bowl of soup. Jacob's life in particular is very interesting to follow because Jacob goes through a long process of coming to faith in God. As we see him now with his family and so on, he is the heel grasper the uh, deceiver. I remember when I was growing up, when you call somebody a heel, what a heel. I wonder if that came from the biblical reference here. Jacob was a heel grasper. He was a deceiver. That became the idea. He was one who manipulated people for his own purposes. Now, in the second stage of Jacob's life, he becomes the deceivee. He's going to get deceived. He's going to get oppressed. He's going to get abused by Rebekah's brother. He's going to get abused by him when he goes north to get away from Esau. 
and then later on in his life, he is going to grab a hold of God. We'll see that when he comes back from the Northlands. That's when his name is changed to Israel. In the final stage of his life, he finally comes to a full-blown, mature faith in God and that he is grabbed by God. God guides him and directs him, and he looks to God and trusts in God's guidance and in God's provision for his life. We'll see that in his late life. But right now, on the face of it, Jacob valued the things of God. And, of course, it brings the question to our own lives as believers, do we value the things of God? Do we prefer and look to the things of God as more important than the things of this earth, getting a next meal or getting that job or whatever it might be, making money. Do we value the things of God in our lives? Is that the most important thing to us? We have now become a part of this process. We have now become a part of the people of God, and we are now made available to God to use us in any way he will, any way he desires to further the extension of his kingdom in the world we live in. Much has been said in recent years about the importance from dads to give blessing and to encourage their sons and daughters as they grow older and take on the mantle of adulthood. And we see a beautiful example of a a blessing here that Isaac gave to Jacob. Uh, I'm very, very touched by that. As an orphan, I can hear that and read it and think how much that must have meant to this young man to hear that blessing and that confirmation given to him by his father. Another lesson that comes from this tonight, though, is that the nature of temptation is often like we see tonight with the bowl of porridge. Uh, Satan or the world offers us an immediate pleasure and satisfaction of an immediate desire, and we would give priority to that over a valuable, important commitment. And how many times has that happened to you and me? Have we fallen for that temptation? The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Kendall House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to the Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. That's the Bible Live P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now, don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word. 